The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. I want to, um, I want to begin with a confession, if that's okay. Don't worry, Johnny, it's nothing too bad. I've been reading this passage wrong my whole life. Despite all of the theology, despite all of the Bible studies I've been to, despite all the sermons that I've heard on this passage, I've missed something so obvious, so wonderful, so profound. And I'm going to share that with you today. Do you want, do you want to know what it is? <laughs> you don't, obviously. <laughs> do you want to know what it is? Okay, I'm going to tell you, it's point number two in my talk, so you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Um, Johnny said, normally your sermon's about two hours, is that right? When I... <laughs> uh, it's wonderful to be here, it's wonderful to be back at this church. As Johnny said, uh, my wife and I and um, four others, part of the church in Hitchin, in a pub, with a dream to reach people that didn't know Jesus, to create a safe place for them to come and explore faith. And that church continues today, I don't lead anymore, Martha Inch, who was here for a little while, some of you might know her, um, leads that now. But it's so good to be back. Liz, who I love, give Liz a quick round of applause just on your legs. She didn't stand up when you introduced the trustees, so stand up just quick. Oh, she hates this. Liz is a wonderful woman, and she, she prayed for me before the service, and I just felt so lifted up. And wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that amazing what God was doing and what he's doing in this church? And I just wanted to say as well, over the last few months, along with others, I've been praying for you as a church. This stuff's really hard. I heard someone liken it to a bit like a kind of desk fan just going off in the background, this kind of ambient stress, anxiety, difficulty. And, and actually, I've been watching your live stream every week um, over the last couple of months as a kind of spiritual practice. And while I watch it, I pray for you. So just know we're with you, we love you, and... Um, you're in our prayers. And it's interesting, isn't it, that passage we just heard? Because Jesus walks around the towns and the villages and he noticed that people are helpless and harassed. Helpless and harassed. Maybe you can relate to that. Leah, who just read our Bible passage, um, there's a photo of her actually that's going to come up on the screen because at the 9.30, she, um, people didn't know she was. But Leah attends the 11.30. Her and Judah, this is a picture of them in London town. Um, probably an anniversary or something like that. But I work with Leah um, at the diocese with Tim, who's been coming a little bit as well. And she's a wonderful leader. And I've learned so much from these guys in the last couple of months as I've got to know them. And um, me and Leah were at the office recently, and Leah was just sharing that she's also felt, in the midst of all of this difficulty, in the midst of all of this pain, harassed and helpless. And we were chatting a little bit, and then I went off to go for a walk with a leader and... The leader I met with was also feeling harassed and helpless. So we went for a walk, like talked a little bit. And as we got back to the office, I really felt this sense that we needed to pray, that we needed to take some time to pray for her. So I saw Leah um, at a desk and said, Leah, would you mind just coming to pray? And I, I did the first prayer. You know what it's like when you do these things. Like I did a really good like kind of Anglican prayer or whatever it was. And I'm sure God loved it and all of that. And then Leah um, was kind of down on her knees rested her hand on the leader's shoulder and prayed this beautiful, profound prayer and then said, I get this sense that you might be feeling like this. And in that moment, she listed off everything that this leader had just told me. God had spoken directly to her for this person. I have permission to tell this story, by the way. And she spoke directly to what she was thinking, feeling. 
She gave a, a verse from scripture that just unlocked everything. And I was dumbfounded. And at the end of the prayer, we said, amen and all of that stuff that we do. And I turned to the leader and I said, that was extraordinary. That was extraordinary. I said, that was good, wasn't it? Did you, did you enjoy it? She's like, yeah, that was good. And I looked over and, and said to her, it kind of makes you realize that God exists, that God's still speaking, that he's still working in the world. And I wonder if you can relate to those moments. Of course, we know that God exists and all of that. But it was this glimpse of the divine, this moment where heaven literally seemed to touch earth, where God's kingdom came in that moment at that time. And he decided to use Leah despite being harassed and helpless. And I just want to say to you as a church, and this is kind of the main thing I want to say today, whatever you face, whatever you're going through, However difficult it is, God wants to use you. God is still bringing about his kingdom. He's still giving us these glimpses as we experienced a few moments ago of the divine. God is still on the move. God is still working in the world. About 14 years ago, um, my wife and I went to New Zealand and we did the whole like camper van thing around the North and South Islands. Anyone ever done that kind of thing? Been to New Zealand? Just me. And um, we... I say a camper van, basically we bought a van off this dodgy bloke in Christchurch, like in this industrial estate, and I built um, in the back of the van a bed, and the bed was slightly uncomfortable and a bit dodgy, but, but it kind of worked. We drove around the North and South Islands, and one of the things we did when we were there was to visit Abel Tasman National Park. I think a picture will come up, actually. It's a beautiful place, uh, beautiful beaches, there you go. And um, what you can do, if you want to experience Abel Tasman National Park, you can do this four-day walk through the whole of the park from one end to another. And it's fantastic, you get to see everything. We, we didn't do that because we were too lazy and I don't like camping. You can also do a two-day walk where you kind of walk in a bit of a way and then come back. But we didn't do that either because I don't like camping, it doesn't agree with me. Um, you can also do a 12-hour walk, which is really, really long, um, where you kind of walk into a park and then walk back. But we didn't do that either. We opted for the five-hour half-day walk. And in order to achieve this, you get in a boat, a little bit like that, a little bit like James Bond, and you go along these headlands, they drop you off, and as you get off the boat, the captain looks at you and says, now remember, you need to be at Anchorage to meet the bus in five hours. If you miss the bus, you have to sleep in the national park, or you have to do a really long walk back to your transport. Now, when he said that, I didn't really think anything of it at the time. But um, we set off on our way, and as we walked up the beach, we got off the back of the boat, as you can see there, and it was lovely. And my wife said, oh, should we just have a quick snack um, before we begin? Now, those that know my wife, Alex, um, I, I didn't want to argue with her, so we had a quick, um, <laughs> you know, Alex, um, we, we had our snack, and I was thinking, we, you know, we haven't got all day. Um, we then walked up the hill for about literally 10, 15 minutes, and then she said, oh, Dan, do you mind if I just change my shoes real quick? And I was like... <laughs> Didn't want to argue with her, so we let her change her shoes. And I'm looking at watch getting more and more anxious. Then we walked, honestly, it would have been like another 25 minutes. And we got, we got to this beautiful like vista. I don't know if you can flick it up. It was like that. And she said, should we sit here and have our lunch? Like, that would be a really nice view looking out. Um, and it was a good idea, but we still had quite a long way to walk. But I didn't want to argue with Alex, so we went there. And, and what happened was, I arrived at one of these, these signs. Just dip back one slide, mate. Um, these signs, and it basically said... To get to Anchorage, you've got three hours and 50 minutes. 
The problem was the bus was picking us up in about three and a half hours. So we were behind time because my lovely wife had procrastinated so much. So I took control, and um, as you do, and uh, I don't normally do that in my marriage, FYI. And, uh, and I said, right, we're going. So I turned into like an army general, and we just marched around these headlands. And as we walked round and round, you'd see these most beautiful beaches, but you couldn't touch them because we were so far behind. I had to catch up time. And so I was literally running around this headland. My feet were so sweaty. My shirt, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, had a backpack on, was completely soaked. And I was just so, so tired. And every time I went around a corner, beautiful beach, can't go and swim in it because we spent too much time eating lunch, changing our shoes and eating snacks. <laughs> what felt like many hours later, we came across another one of those signs and it said it was only 30 minutes to Anchorage. And what that meant was um, we'd actually caught up time because the bus was picking us up in an hour. So I said to Alex, let's go to the beach. Let's have a wash off. Let's have a swim. And I remember distinctly, sweaty, tired, worn out, um, taking my shoes and socks off, running into the water and having this moment of... <sighs> the Christian life can be a little bit like that. We walk around, we work hard, difficult things happen, we're sweaty, our feet smell, we're tired, but every so often we experience these glimpses of the divine, these moments when Leah's down on her knees praying for someone and God is literally using her to speak to that person in that situation. We get these glimpses of these beautiful beaches and yet most of the time, life feels really, really hard. And as Christians, we're moving towards this final moment, this final eschaton, these final end times, but we're not there yet. This final moment when everything is restored and we have that moment of... <sighs> now, to illustrate this, I drew you a little picture. Um, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> My mum would love that, wouldn't she? She'd be so proud of me. Um, this is a summary of the whole Bible, by the way. Just I managed to get it all on one sheet of my moleskin. And uh, this is the story of God. I'm going to run him through it real quick. And um, I apologise for how quickly I did this. This is the most profound story ever. The most profound thing. Our very existence is limited to that A5 piece of paper. But just go with it for a minute. So it starts in the beginning. And in Genesis, we believe in the narrative about creation that God creates the world and it is good. The world is good. Now, the Hebrew word for good there is this word tov. My um, friend, Dr. Tim, told me about this. He's a very clever man. Not the other Tim, a different Tim. There's lots of us at the Dyson office. And this word tov is really interesting because when we see that word good, that word tov in the Old Testament, it's about restoring what is right. And the whole story of the Old Testament is about God trying to restore the broken creation as some way, somehow, his relationship with humans gets broken, it gets destroyed. And that's why I've drawn this strange graph. It's a little bit like a soap opera, right? Like the Israelites are in relationship with God and they're out of relationship with God and they're in relationship with God and they're out of relationship with God. And the only thing that will resolve this, the only thing that will save God's people is the cross and the ensuing resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, which I've limited to that terrible picture, but you get the idea. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is the final victory. Whatever we face, however difficult it is, the battle is won. 
Jesus has done it. God has done it. Heaven has touched earth and we are free. And yet we know there's more. We know as we sang today that at some point in human history, there will be the final eschaton, the final end, the final consummation where we have that moment of... And we live in between those two places, in between the now and the not yet of God's kingdom. And that's why it's hard. Bishop Tom Wright says, God's kingdom is launched through Jesus, particularly through his death and resurrection, but by the Spirit. The kingdom is not an escape from the present, but rather its transformation. The kingdom is not an escape from the present, but rather the transformation of the world that we live in, already in the present, starting with Jesus' resurrection and in the ultimate future, the new heaven and the new earth, including our resurrection. And so we're moving towards these end times. We're moving towards this point when every tear will be wiped away and every knee will bow, where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we're not there yet. And that's why it can be hard. And so the Christian life becomes about glimpsing this glory. And as we're in those places, as we're in these places of difficulty, again, like that ambient fan going off, I believe that God wants to use us. I believe God wants to use you. He wants to use you to bring about his kingdom, to play your part in giving those glimpses to your friends, your family, and others around. Um, the, the, the point I wanted to make, are you ready? I'm going to tell you what it is now, by the way. Um, point two, we're there already. And, and two and three are much shorter. Don't worry, Johnny. Often when we read the Bible... We read a chapter, maybe you get up in the morning, have your coffee, do your Bible study, you read a chapter, so you might read chapter nine, which we heard today, put it down again, and then the next day get up, read chapter 10. And, and the problem with doing that is that isn't how it was originally written, that these two chapters were supposed to come together. And so what happens is, Jesus walks around the towns and villages and he sees that people are helpless and harassed. He has compassion on them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he addresses the disciples, not the crowd, addresses the disciples. He looks at them and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. He's not talking to anyone else. He's talking to disciples. And then in chapter 10, get ready, he sends out the disciples. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he sends out his disciples. What Jesus is saying is, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Disciples, the workers are you. Do you get it? And he prays that prayer that all of us have prayed when I planted the church. God, send people, send leaders, send people to help us on this journey. There's only six of us. And yet often, God turns it around and says, no, 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 I'm not going to send a knight in shining armour. There's no perfect leader coming down the road. The workers are you. I want to use you. I want to use you guys. What, me? Yes, you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Soul survivor, I believe the workers are you. So people are harassed and helpless. Jesus says, it is you. He sends out his disciples. And the third thing, I told you they were shorter, is to keep it simple. To keep it simple. I'm an associate um, vicar at a church in Leegrave in Luton. Anyone from Luton? No. Oh, just one. Fantastic. Thank, you need to weep louder next time because it's just literally us. Um, 
And Leegrave's a bit of a rough area. I don't know if you've been there. There's this place called Hot Quail Ring within it, and it's kind of the place, if you mention it, people go, oh, I wouldn't go there. I actually quite like it there. Um, but it's not the kind of place you go for a nice dinner or to um, hang out, basically because there's no restaurants there. Like, it's a pretty difficult place. But our church is right in that community, slightly set back. And um, fortunately for us, like, God's blessed our church recently, and we've grown a fair bit. And so what we've decided to do is distill our vision down. And Johnny actually really helped us with this. And so our new focus going forward is to start two new worshipping communities, contextual worshipping communities, because we know that people do want to come to church, but we also want to go to the people. And so Grace has come up with this vision along with others, and it's really good. People are getting behind it. And so we've started one of these new worshipping communities. And it's not like a church like this. Um, it's a 20-minute service that happens at the end of... Um, our time together, and it, it emerged off the back of a warm hub. Can you just click forward the picture, actually? This is, this is the community, so this is um, the team, the people that go along to the service. But, but what happened was, when the energy prices went up, we decided to start a warm hub in Hot Quail Ring. Now, our warm hub was very successful because people in that community are incredibly poor, and they can't afford to put the heating on. They also can't afford to buy food, and so we feed about 100 people a week um, at this warm hub. But off the back of that, Sumitra, the leader to the left of me, and again, she's given me permission to tell her story, decided that she wanted to launch a new worshipping community. Now, Sumitra's story is interesting because two years ago, she was helpless and harassed, like a sheep without a shepherd. She actually couldn't leave the house. She was in a really difficult place. But slowly God began to restore her, and my vicar Grace did a fantastic job of getting alongside her, and not just getting her to the point of coming along to church, but raising her up as a leader, and I'm so grateful that she did. So I went along to this new worshipping community, and what me and Grace decided to do was not get in the way of it, because the danger of having someone that's like planted a church before is that you'll go in and turn it into like Hitchin in Hotquell Ring, which wouldn't be very pretty. Uh, and so we decided to let Sumitra come up with a vision come up with the ideas for this community. And it was amazing what happened. I walked into the New Worshipping community. I went along on the third week. And it's probably been one of the most formational experiences for me, really, in understanding God's mission. So I went in and um, arrived. And the chairs were kind of all, all rough. They weren't set out nicely like they are here today. Well done, whoever did that. Um, there was four Bibles, you know, those old, like, good news Bibles with a picture on the front on the table. And um, a sign that said church at five, the problem was the sign was pointing in the wrong direction, like it was pointing out the room. And I just found this hilarious because it was just so simple what she did. So the service began and Sumitra shared that she'd been in hospital that week and she'd had a really difficult time, but she wanted to come and give a blessing to people. She wanted to come and bless God's people in our community. So we sat around, she shared her story. She then prayed, and then she turned to me and said, um, it's really great to have Reverend along today, that's what she calls me, and she said, can you, um, can you sing a song for us? The problem is, I, I can't sing. <laughs> I, I'm so bad at singing that when I was trying to be a vicar, I had to go for singing lessons, and it didn't work. I still can't do it, but because she asked me, and I was just trying to get out of the way and, and serve them, I thought, okay, what can I sing? So I sang the doxology, you know that one? Praise God from him, our blessings. I told you I can't sing. And I sang it three times, and by the third time, like, people began to join in, um, which was nice, but it was a little bit awkward. But a bit like a few moments ago, like, something profound happened in those moments. Sumitra then encouraged people to share what God was doing in their life, all in 20 minutes. And what was really interesting was, at the end of everything people said, she would go, wow, God, and then everyone in the room would go, 
wow God. And I turned to Johnny just then, like during that worship, it was like a wow God moment, wasn't it? You're like, gosh, like what is happening? This is phenomenal. Um, we went around. People that weren't Christians were sharing what God had done in their lives. Half the people in that picture aren't Christians. But there's 12 people in a little cafe in Hockwell Ring, one of the most broken, complex places in our diocese. And yet heaven seemed to touch earth. We seem to have a glimpse of God's kingdom. And I cried during that service. That doesn't happen very often, but something amazing was happening. And it was so simple. It was so simple. Jesus says when he sends out his disciples, take nothing with you. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Take no gold, silver in your belt. If someone welcomes you, then work with them. Soul survivor, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. The workers, I believe, are you. I believe in this difficult time that God wants to continue to send you out into his harvest. I believe he wants to use you. I believe however inadequate you feel, however helpless and harassed you feel, it's worth noting that people feel like that in our world at the moment. And I believe God wants to use you, like he's used Sumitra and others, to very simply serve this community, to bring about God's kingdom in Watford as in heaven. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are you.